through the door. If your if your team is solid, then you can inspire growth. You can inspire uh, new business. You know, ch- ch- chasing new business down is obviously something it's something that we do in in, in consulting land um, really regularly. If you feel inspired and energized and and capable and and autonomous, actually. Um, that your leaders trust you to do what they're asking you to do. That, for me, is is really where the leadership starts. My, my role is very much to be the custodian of the careers of the people that work with me for the period of time that we are lucky enough to be together. Because I think the reality is, certainly in consulting, that you learn and grow and that maybe there will become a point where you want to move on somewhere, somewhere else. And that's a very proud moment. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with an experienced global corporate communications specialist who is committed to the community, health, fitness, and well-being. A genuine people person, she is passionate about mentoring, facilitating, and leading teams. Her focus in corporate and financial communication, media relations, reputation management, and strategic counsel has given her the necessary skills to thrive in her current role as Managing Director of Edelman Australia, the world's largest independent communications agency. Educated globally, she went to Island School Hong Kong, studied journalism, film and broadcasting and completed a postgraduate diploma public relations at the University of Wales in Cardiff and attended the Australian Graduate School of Management. Her previous senior executive appointments have included roles at Sharman Networks, PPPR PR Agency, and Sefiani Communications Group. I'm pleased to introduce to you an inspiring mentor who is known for building strong relationships, impressive personal development programs, and competing at the World Triathlon Championships, Fran Boaz. Fran, welcome to the show. Craig, thank you so much. So you were born in Newport, South Wales. You, you spent quite a bit of time in Hong Kong. How did having a global view as a child help shape your career dreams when you were a teenager? I think um, being out, Hong Kong is an incredibly dynamic place. Um, and part of the beauty of growing up there or being a child in, in an environment is that you, you don't really realize uh, the benefit that you are getting until you become an adult or until you move to a different environment. Um, I think Hong Kong in the 80s was an incredibly uh, dynamic place. Um, I had the opportunity to connect with with peers and uh, colleagues who were, I think our school had 80 different nationalities. So I think I I just grew up with uh, with a view that um, flexibility, a sense of of curiosity about the world and understanding different cultures was intrinsic to building friendships and building relationships. So those wide open spaces in the green pastures of, of South <laughs> Wales are quite different and unique to 
the very tall skyscrapers and sort of frantic chaos of Hong Kong. You know, what, what age did you, did you move to Hong Kong? Well, dis disappointingly, I'm not going to be able to comment uh, on the comparison as a child. I was 18 months when my family moved to Hong <laughs> Kong, so I feel very much, uh, very much born and bred. But I do recall going back to the UK. So my mum is a very uh, proud Welsh woman. And uh, growing up, we didn't spend a huge amount of time in the UK growing up, you know, on holidays and that sort of thing. Uh, but she encouraged me to go to the University of Wales. So I went back to Cardiff. And as I was preparing to go from Hong Kong as, a, as an 18-year-old back to the UK, she said to me, you know, you, you'll be with your people. Um, and I realized very, very quickly <laughs> when I started university that I just had a very different uh, perspective and a very different experience growing up. Um, and I think I actually I struggled for a while to 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 assimilate uh, because it was so different but i think having an international background does mean that you you can work out your your path and you can you can begin to feel settled um you can quickly so that was that was my first experience and the second was and i do recall it's so it's funny you mentioned the the blue skies and the wild wide open spaces it took me probably about four weeks of being uh being back in the uk being in cardiff I just I could not figure out what was different about the landscape. And it, it, a penny drop moment happened uh, for me when I realized it was, I could see expansive swathes <laughs> of sky. <laughs> <laughs> and I was used to seeing these little you know, patchwork, little glimpses between buildings. So yeah, definitely different, definitely a different environment to be in. We always used to do the eye check when we'd go back from Taiwan to New Zealand. It was like, oh, okay, my, my vision is not that blurred. It's actually, I can see <laughs> clearly in the crisp outlines now. Yes. <laughs> so you started out in journalism, film and broadcasting before moving into public relations. What has really caught your attention when it comes to communications? I think for me it was it was again this sort of intrinsic. I've always been very driven to um, towards relationships, to how, how and curious. So, being able to communicate and communicate well has always been something that um, that I've I've sought to do, um, and ha that has come quite naturally to me. I think once I started um, studying journalism and then and then looking further into PR, actually my my very first job was in crisis management. And I think that for me was the realization that um, being able to uh, effectively communicate means that you are able to build trust, you are able to address issues, you are able to, from an organizational point of view and from a commercial point of view, um, build a narrative and a story that is a really important part of engaging um, whether it's your target audiences you know whether it's your staff um, whether it's your customers for me it felt like that was something that I was interested in something that I was um, that I was good at and something that was important um, in terms of building a career it's interesting when you talk about going from crisis management and then right through the spectrums of communication it, that whole, you know, for anyone, it doesn't matter what it is. People just want to be able to have clarity and confidence um, during, at any time, if they're actually going to buy into who you are and what you're doing. I couldn't agree more. And I think part of, I mean, I've, I've 
now I'm 20 years into my career and I think what I've realized is that it really is about getting the basics right it really is about acting um, and then communicating with absolute integrity and that's whether you are in, in trouble as an organization um, whether you're looking to promote or whether you're looking to protect I think it is yeah, absolutely honesty um, and transparency are absolute fundamentals to building that trust so the ability to get, to effectively communicate has always been very, very important. However, it feels like it is everything now. For you, what has been the biggest change in communications, apart from obviously having digital platforms now, over the past couple of decades? I think the pace, I mean, a, a couple of things. I've worked in and around media for most of my career, so I think... you. I couldn't agree more that, that digital platforms have fundamentally changed the way we communicate. But it's not just um, it's not just uh, the how, but it's also the, the content. Um, so biggest changes for me have been a really rapid acceleration um, in the number of channels that are available to us, combined with um, the the effect on us as, as human beings and how much information is available to us, how much we can absorb, um, and just how truncated uh, communication has become as a result. So I think that the, the greatest irony, um, or one of the greatest ironies for me, is that I work with a lot of a lot of millennials, and I don't want to be a um, you know generational generationalist about this, but um, it is um, mind blowing to me how much information, the level of um, engagement in terms of volume across all numerous different platforms, um, but equally you struggle to actually get depth in terms of, of uh, relaying communication, relaying information um, and developing relationships. So most things in life go through cycles and kind of things come around in a full circle, so to speak. So one of probably the most ancient arts of communication is storytelling. And it seems to be really coming back into prominence again as, as for an effective communication, especially as, leaders that we need to be able to effectively use stories and quite often personal stories to showcase or to really communicate and connect with people. Is that what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. And I think um, if, I, if I think about that from the perspective of being a, a leader in my organization, I think the bottom line is that people do not come to work uh, to achieve a business result. <laughs> people come to work to be with other people. Um, and my experience, certainly across the board in my own career, is that being a leader and being able to communicate on a very human level is critical. It's critical to managing staff. It's critical for great client relationships. Um, and, they, and then again, coming back to uh, crisis and reputation management, it's even more important when you're dealing with very difficult situations. So many companies don't have a communications plan in place for when crisis hits. It's normally a very reactive approach. So what are most important elements when it comes to being really proactive in that crisis management? It comes down, in my experience, it comes down to planning. 
So it does come down to to knowing your business. It does come down to you need a little bit of what's keeping you awake at night and um, some foresight around what is what is critical from an operational perspective to your business. What are the totally left field um, and, and unexpected things that could affect your business? And how do you put in place? And, and at, that st- at that stage, it's really about developing a framework. Um, you don't need to go into a huge amount of detail on on you know, scenarios from A to Z, but you do need to be clear in your mind as an organization, what are the types of things that could cause issues for you? And then I think it's about developing a a response framework, understanding how, again, from an operational perspective, how are issues raised? Who decides when, when an issue is a problem or when an issue is a crisis? And then how do you line everybody up so that you're able to respond? It's doing that risk analysis and you know, appropriating the right risk level. And as you say, who's connected to it. And mm. it's very much the same in when you're managing change as well. So managing effective change tends to be the most challenging aspect for both leaders and employees. What are the biggest or the biggest lesson you have learned as a leader of change? Do you know what? I think it's that fundamental question, what's in it for me? And the reason I the reason I start with that is because I've had to certainly as a leader within my own organisation um, over the years communicate plenty of um, uh, communicate around change and often it's it's difficult it's uncertain I think if there's if there is one thing I have learnt working in agency but specifically there is a lot of we're in a constant state of change um, but I think it is really being able to put yourself into uh, your recipient's shoes and look at whatever the message you are delivering from a what's in it for me perspective or what does it mean for me so again that's where being very very human and being authentic about what it is um, the, the impact of potential change um, and I think demonstrating that you have thought through how it impacts how the people that you're sharing it with, that you have spent time considering um, what the impact is and how you have worked around that to deliver the best possible outcome. And it may not be an outcome that is easy to um, easy to communicate or easy to, to take, but I think if you're able to demonstrate that you really have put um, your stakeholders first and you deliver your message in, a, in an authentic um, and, and very human way, then that for me is the, is the fundamental basis of addressing change and messaging change. That what's in it for me is, is so good. It's such a, a great way of approaching it. And, and something that I always find too, that if, if someone says no, that doesn't mean you stop and you move on. It is like, mm. okay, well, what's it going to take for you to say yes? So, and it's that yeah. whole finding out what's, what's their pain points and what how can we address those as part of the change? Yeah, and I think change inevitably, fear accompanies change often or uncertainty and coming back to what, how can I, and it's not about, it's not about solving that. It's not about placating people. It's not about making, making promises or quick fixes that, that, that make change more comfortable. I think it is about absolutely recognising the impact of change and getting it on the table and being able to say, you know what, I know this is hard and I know this is uncomfortable, 
but I want you to know that I've got your, I've, I've got you in mind when I'm thinking about these things. Um, and we've given really careful consideration to to where we're at and how we're how we're managing this. So it seems you have kind of natural talent for teaching and coaching people <laughs> through the good times or, and, or, and the or, challenging or times. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I said or or and bossy, one of the two. <laughs> So what do you think makes a really great mentor? I think from my perspective, and I have, the, I have had the benefit of having some amazing mentors, um, and I've also loved being a mentor, but I think it is really, truly being able to listen. Um, I think it is uh, being able to let go of your own ego and your own experience. And I know I've had a, a few conversations early on in my career where somebody would come to me with a problem or to, to seek advice or, you know, in, the, in that mentorship arrangement. And I would go to, well, in my experience, I did this and this happened and this worked for me. But actually, it's going even taking an even further step back and just understanding and really putting yourself in the position of the person that you're that you're working with um, one one uh, other area of mentorship outside of work has been I did I spent um, about about five years maybe seven years I was working with an organization called Cantu I've, I've always been very um, active and, and health focused and part of working with Cantu is helping to train people for um, either a half marathon or an open water ocean swim. And often in those moments where people looked to you for support and for guidance were when they were most vulnerable, particularly in ocean swimming, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> and that's probably the, you know, the shark factor and the whale factor and <laughs> all of those you know, glorious unknowns that make it such a fulfilling um, activity and, and equally you know, a, a, a scary activity. Um, but it was absolutely in those real moments of, of vulnerability and need that you are able to step in. And the first thing for me has always been I recognize and acknowledge that this is a scary thing. But I'm going to be with you. And this is, this is, this is how we're going to work together. Beautiful. Yeah. A lot of businesses will focus on professional development. However, they don't always consider the personal development side. What strategies do you use to determine your team's internal motivations? So I think you've touched on. I'm just going to, I'm going to explore a, a, a particular path um, because I what I find is, and we work in a so we we work in a Edelman is a, a, a large global, um, very fast paced uh, consulting agency, and something that has really come to the fore for me has been how to manage how to manage stress and the importance of wellness so you're absolutely spot on we talk a lot about professional development we talk a lot about a technical technical expertise what it means to be great at client service but we very very rarely talk about what it means to manage stress what it means to manage overwhelm that all of the uh, having multiple clients come to you at the same time asking for the same thing actually it's as important 
to know which journalist to call as it is to know, okay, I'm feeling, I'm starting to feel stressed now, I need to do something about it. So part of, um, part of my way of, of dealing with it has been, has been always to be active and to always, for me, my release is knowing that if I step out and something as simple as taking a walk around the block, just changing your environment, um, what are those, te- what are the techniques that I can be sharing with my team that will enable them not just to to, to show up well uh, with clients and to to do great work, but how do you, accepting that downtime is as important as uptime, certainly as an athlete is is a very hard thing to, it's a very hard thing to get your head around, that actually you do genuinely need recovery time, Um, but equally uh, in terms of, of, of performance in a role that's very, very demanding, having a break, and taking some time out is as important a lesson to learn as it, as is you know, responding, learning how to respond, uh, respond to a client, or, or do something, uh, you know, develop communication strategy. So we're going to touch back on that a little bit later in regards to your own personal situation around um, sort of your health and wellness. But for now, I just want to delve a little bit into your leadership and what is your internal motivation to lead companies my starting point has has always been the human beings that help to run businesses i think it helps for me that i've always been in a knowledge-based industry i've never worked in a manufacturing industry or um or anything outside of of consulting actually so from my point of view um, leadership really does start by recognizing that organizations whatever their size and scale need human beings (laughs) to come and to enjoy what they do to feel motivated and recognized for what they do in the good times and the tough times so from a leadership point of view my fundament my start point is is team and i think with a solid team you can drive and innovate to address client issues client concerns whatever it is that comes through the door if your if your team is solid then you can inspire growth. You can inspire uh, new business. You know, ch- chasing new business down is obviously something something that we do in, in, in consulting land um, really regularly. If you feel inspired and energized and, and capable and, and autonomous, actually, um, that your leaders trust you to do what they're asking you to do, that, for me, is, is really where leadership starts. My, my role is very much to be the custodian of the careers of the people that work with me for the period of time that we are lucky enough to be together. Because I think the reality is, certainly in consulting, that you learn and grow and that maybe there will become a point where you want to move on somewhere else. And that's a very proud moment. That's a really important moment. So I think that, from my perspective, empowerment, um, being compassionate, being empathetic, but realizing and recognizing that as a team, if we can bond as a team and combine as a team, that really is, is how we're going to achieve. So based on that team approach, how would your team describe your leadership style? <laughs> they would, um, very high standards, I absolutely have, have high standards. I think there is no ambiguity around what it is that I expect 
in terms of, of delivery, in terms of behaviour, particularly towards one another, in terms of the level of integrity and trust we're looking to inspire within our clients. Um, I think they would probably say I'm very fair and I always will find time for them. So as a leader, what is your biggest leadership challenge? That is a very, very good question. I think in terms of challenges, there are environmental challenges and external um, sort of business landscape challenges that um, affect every organization. But I think it's I think it's learning how to work. And again, this generational piece does come into play. We're a very young industry. PR and marketing and comms tends to be um, very, very young. So I think it's about um, really noticing and recognizing the cultural differences of the generations that are coming through and just understanding, spending time to understand what motivates, um, what inspires, because it is different. I do believe that there are different um there are different levers to pull and buttons to push, um, and recognizing that is really important, you know, particularly in, in quite a young industry. So early on, we talked a little bit about the importance of listening. I just want to t- uh, just quote something from you about accepting feedback. The ability to accept feedback is an extremely powerful and often painful lesson to learn. Often it is the painful feedback that offers you the greatest opportunity to grow accept it, process it, and implement it. Can you elaborate a bit further on what that means to you? I think that, and again, this is, uh, this. is I'm coming from a position of, of uh, having received plenty of feedback in my life, uh, equally uh, having dealt with it in different ways. Um, and I think it does take a level of maturity to be able to really, and again, this comes back to really listening. Uh, when somebody gives you feedback, I think I struggled for a, I struggled for a while uh, when I was a lot younger, um, between drawing a line between what was what was criticism, so moving into a very defensive frame of mind as soon as somebody says, "Hey, I want to give you some feedback," to actually this person. Whether I agree with it or not, this is the this is the perception this person has, um, and actually there is absolute validity in 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 that perception. So, I think there there is there is a moment in time, and it, it is a it, it's a maturation um, process where actually. I can learn from this. <laughs> there is enormous value once you're able to, and it does come down to ego. Once you're able from my experience anyway, but once you're able to move past ego, move past feeling defensive and accepting that whatever is that is being uh, delivered back to you has value and you can choose to, if you can look at it in an objective sense, you can you can pull learnings from it. I guess the real challenge is it is that implementation piece. So it is um, quite genuinely noticing your own patterns, noticing, and this is quite interesting too, that some often when you're giving feedback to somebody, more often than not actually, it's probably not the first time they have heard it. So from there, it's, it is recognizing those, recognizing those patterns. And it's hard work to break, to break habits because those habits have probably worked for you for a long time. Um, 
so yeah, I think it, it it takes a lot of a lot of work actually to 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 implement, but the value is is incredible for personal growth and for professional growth. So you are currently the managing director of Edelman in Australia. Mm-hmm. If we were to get into an elevator at the ground floor and we were going to the tenth floor, can you give me an in the elevator pitch to what Edelman is? And who their typical client is? <laughs> that is okay. Let's go. <laughs> Are we in? Are we rolling? <laughs> yep, the door's closed. <laughs> so um, Edelman is the world's largest uh, global independent uh, communications agency, and we do a lot of work for really large global businesses. And it is full spectrum. We do everything from developing digital campaigns uh, to working with public affairs teams to managing issues and crises. Um, but the real gold for me is that uh, we've got 6,500 um, experts essentially in our business based all over the world, which means that we can bring absolute world-class thinking to any problem, typically their communications problems, but increasingly their business issues um, to clients to make um, a, a significant impact. Very impressive, very clear and concise, well done. Um, <laughs> so each year Edelman delivers the Edelman Trust Barometer. What is yeah. the current temperature? So Australia, it's interesting. So this data is from actually from October, November last year. That's when we're in field. Um, trust in Australia is uh, was at an all-time low last year. We're seeing some lifts, but from my point of view, here and particularly here in Australia, the impact of the Banking Royal Commission cannot be underestimated. Uh, the impact of leadership churn that quite frankly we haven't i think it's you know we're the coup capital of the democratic world according to the bbc um but churn at a leadership level um and the way that that churn occurs so the backstabbing and the um the, the factions that operate at a federal um in in federal politics that also has had a fundamental effect on australians trust in the institutions that essentially um, inform how it is that that we live. So, yeah, trust in business is not good. Trust in government is worse. I think businesses increasingly have a role to play in uh, building the trust of Australians because Australians are looking to businesses to to play a role in societal issues. They have a responsibility. If you think about, um, yeah, we work for a lot of global clients um, and in the FMCG space, for example, it is not acceptable for uh, a Unilever, for example, not to have a position on single-use plastics, not to have a position on sustainability. So I think I think we're in a really, really interesting, a really interesting spot with respect to trust because it is coming down to how much individuals trust every organization and business they engage with so speaking about trust on a on more of a human capital level we're seeing more people empowered to speak out about mental health burnout and workplace relationships what are the biggest mistakes you have seen in business when it comes to workplace wellness talking about it and not actually not actually doing enough about it I think fundamentally, and I think about this in the professional services industry, 
um, where there have been well documented well documented issues. I think it is one thing to say, hey, you know, we've got these great initiatives, um, flexible work, work from home, take some time out, have a mental health day. But if your back end does not support that. So if you are still measuring people's utilisation, um, you are still measuring, it, your, your time has to be documented in six-minute increments, the back end doesn't support the front end. And I think that that is something that the entire industry is grappling with. It's wonderful to have a, a, a you know a gym membership, but do you actually have the time? Do you actually truly have the time and permission to go and, to go and use it, you know? So, yeah, I think it is it is creating congruence between what what is being said, what is being promised, and how businesses actually operationally adjust to truly enable it to happen. So, based on that, how can lead, uh, leaders change the way workplace environments are to ensure that employees have a more sustainable energy and performance throughout the entire year? I think it's rec- I mean, there are, that, that is a very big question. So, so I think there are, there are a couple of things in there. Um, I think it is about, and again, I think what's come across very clearly in this conversation, from my point of view, is recognizing recognizing people um, as human beings in a holistic sense. So to expect somebody to come in every single day from eight till six or what, you know, whatever whatever your time frame is and be on and up for that period of time consistently every single day. That's how the model is 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 built to function, but that's not actually how human beings function. So I think as an absolute baseline, if you can create a level of trust within your teams that somebody can come to you and say, you know what, I am just not having a great day. I need, I just need to take a little time out. I'm going to go and do that. So there is a certain um, baseline level of of trust that needs to exist for people to be able to do that and again for all of these wonderful policies to, to be enabled there is not judgment around somebody who needs to go home at 4 30 just because you know i think we're really it's, it's really drilled into us that we need a we need a really solid excuse <laughs> or reason you know to 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 um, operate outside of um outside of our established and assumed norms. Um, I also think that, edu- again, it's it's educating. A lot of kids come straight out of uni into these real high-pressure environments and their focus is on performance and output and client deliverables. And you forget that, you know what, you need to sleep. <laughs> it's yep. the real fundamentals of self-care. Get enough sleep. Maybe don't drink <laughs> during the week if, you, you know, if you're finding it's affecting you. Um Eat properly, or just get educated about about nutrition. And I'm probably giving a little bit away from from my point of view. I've, I've done a lot of um, a lot of uh, active stuff and and athleticism through my through my life. So I've, I've benefited from from learning all of that. But yeah, it, it's um, you really have to take care of yourself first, and then you come in and you tackle a day. So my next question was, how effective have you been in managing your energy performance? But I think you're already alluding to that. So maybe we'll go a little bit further than that. You've been a a very avid age group triathlete and cyclist and done very, very well. What do you enjoy most about endurance sport and how does it affect you as a leader? I do you know I get on my I get on my bike I had this conversation I've had this conversation with a few people my I drive a really 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 rubbish little car you know <laughs> my the, val- the value of my car increases by twofold if I put my bike on it you know <laughs> so, 
I always joke about, you know, I, I, but I spend a huge amount of time um, cycling actually now. So I've moved out of uh, moved out of triathlon and just more focused on cycling. Um, but it gives me it gives me absolute clarity of mind. And I know if I've got a really big day, if I can cycle into work, so I commute as well. And I live in Sydney, so um, come around Centennial Park. And I guarantee, without fail, there will be several moments in that ride in the park where I will notice the trees or the light or the grass or just how, what a beautiful place I, I live in. How awesome that I can just get on my bike and my body will take me to work. Everything works. I'm healthy. So... I guess that's kind of a long, a long-winded route to 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 gratitude and just having a moment to really appreciate what it is to be alive. Um, and and then you know you walk through the door and you get into the get into the throw of whatever it is you're doing. But I think in terms of the, the other the other side of it for me is is ambition and, and competition and they're very powerful drivers for me. And I think I realised that I needed to manage competitiveness in a health, in a literally in a healthy way, as well as a, a figuratively healthy way. And getting into sport, getting it particularly endurance, I really love. And I figured, yeah, it comes down to body type as well. I just figured that that's I worked out that that was really where I I, I was strongest. Gave me a real sense of um, co- competitiveness contained in a healthy <laughs> in a healthy environment. Um, opposed to bringing it in, you know, bringing it into a, a corporate environment where it can be quite a toxic uh, influence. I learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> so we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Ah, okay. So I love this question because I love doing things for the first time. Um, I don't know. I, I, I am a naturally such a curious person. So for me, and this is again, very literal response, but literally going, I've lived in Sydney now for 15 or 16 years, but literally discovering a street that I've never been down, finding a route that I've never, that I've never ridden, um, working with, that's in the physical sense, but again, um, I mentioned I work with a very, very young uh, group of people. There are constantly questions that I pose to them that I, I just haven't experienced. I don't know what it's like to have grown up in a in a digital environment. What what effect does that have? How does it make them feel? How do I communicate with them better? Uh, with them better. So that's definitely on the on the on the question side. But something I haven't done before. That stumped me. Can you leave that with me? I'll, yeah, I'll, no, that's I'll, fine. I'll, I'll we can come back to that one. What is the one question? And it sounds like you have a lot of questions, but the one question that you really would love to solve. Mm, how can I, and I guess this is indicative of where I'm at right now. And, and I, I work with such brilliant, brilliant young people. And the, 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 the real issue that I'm grappling with is how to, how to build resilience, how to actually give these fantastic and you know, kind of 20, I guess 23, 24, 25-year-olds, um, the, the perspective to know that the world is not going to end, it's going to be okay, you've missed a deadline or you haven't delivered or performed. There is such a, a, a focus on perfectionism. Um, I guess I, I, wish I, could, I wish I could resolve how to 
help young people really appreciate and value themselves and understand how to how to deal with the overwhelm that is life quite frankly in 2020 or 2019 is a great theme in there a couple of very good questions so, so how do you know when you're in a peak state of mind it's kind of interesting so flow i experience um i experience physically quite a lot just through just through um, exercise through swimming and cycling and and everything just comes together i also experience it dealing with issues actually there are certain types of work that i do where i don't think to question myself there is no second guessing there's no oh i should probably actually is that right it is just that peak state for me is feeling energized it's it's having clarity of mind um i often joke with my team that i've got a mind like a like a tanker like a, set the direction and think deeply really think deeply about things <laughs> so often it's when i'm in that state that i realize yep yeah, this is it's almost that feeling that this is what I was born to do, which is, yeah, we're all born to do many different things, but um, yeah, it, it, it's, and for me, it's around, it's around energy and focus and, and confidence. So you've shared some absolute gems today. How can people learn more about what you do and what would be the easiest way for people to connect with you? Um, I would suggest uh, reaching either reaching out to me um, at Edelman um, or actually reaching out to me personally because um, I do genuinely believe I've had a lot of people help me through my career. I've had a lot of great mentors um, and would be really, really happy to lend an ear, have a coffee, do a call um, to help others. So if you contact, anyone wants to contact me, so Craig, are you happy for me to share my email address? It's up to you, yes. That's fine. We sure. can put in the show okay. notes. <laughs> um, so contact me at fran, sorry, fran at boaz.com.au. Um, and I would yeah, be more than happy to connect. Excellent. So Fran, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. It's been wonderful to hear your journey from your very early upbringings in Wales through to your life as a teenage or, or child and teenager in the thriving metropolis of Hong Kong, and then diving into the world of communications and really being able to take take it with a full, uh, like a big a full big hug and really delve into that crisis and change management and really kind of own that space. And now to lead people of the next generation who are coming through as the next communication specialists who are, who are dealing with some big companies around the world. You have some great insights into effective leadership. And, and I really see it as kind of next generational type leadership in the way that you do lead. And you have learned to be a lot more vulnerable, have learned to ask a lot more questions and listen a lot more and to really start to understand the power and importance of things like recovery and wellness and that whole personal development as opposed to the big focus on professional development all the time. I can see you you really love the people that you work with, that the people that you're surrounded with, and that you genuinely want to help people and move them forward. So thank you very much for your amazing wisdom, your belief, and your story for the Active CEO listeners today. It is such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Greg. This week's Active CEO wellness tip is Motion Call. 
It's all about standing up and going for a walk when you receive a phone call rather than just staying seated at your computer. It reduces distractions and ensures that you get the value out of motion leading to emotion when you are walking. You'll be surprised at how much exercise you can actually do and how productive your call can become when you stand up and go for a walk when you take a phone call. I'm aware of a CEO that does 25,000 meters, so that's 25 kilometers a day on phone calls. He's on a lot of conference calls around the world and he just finds that's the best way to both integrate keeping active and healthy and also ensuring that he can be focused on what he needs to when he's out on those phone calls rather than just sitting at a computer where you might be distracted easily or you might be in an office where you can, you're kind of thinking about what other people are doing in the office. You can actually be really present and focus in on what needs to happen at that moment when you're taking those calls. Thank you for listening to an incredible conversation with Francesca Boas talking about building trust in crisis management on episode 52 of the Active CEO podcast. Performance in all aspects of life comes down to the basic fundamentals of exercising regularly, eating healthy, freeing the mind, and recovering with purpose. We often see that most people don't take recovery seriously enough, which has a large impact on their ability to bring the energy, perform with purpose, and take your team to the next level. That's why we developed CEO Periodization, which focuses on planning recovery rather than reacting with sick leave and forced leave as you can't function properly. If you fill 48 weeks of the year with meetings, travel, high stress loads, and multiple projects, then your energy and performance will gradually decline over time without you realizing it. CEO Periodization uses proactive recovery planning to ensure you have consistent energy and performance, not only in the workplace, but all other areas of your life. If you would like to understand how energy to perform can help you become a high performing leader, then please contact us on www.nrg2perform.com website. This is the Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.